Lord, we thank you this morning that we can look to you who has provided for us a fountain through which we are saved. Lord, we come this morning having in many different ways and at different times uh, uh, failed you, having not met the standard of your glory, having subverted the truth that we know about you, having instead gone for a lie, having worshipped creation rather than creator, having sought to find hope in things made rather than you. We thank you, though, this morning that we can come before you forgiven and cleansed through the blood of Christ. And Lord, I pray as we come to your word that you might uh, speak into our, our very souls, lead and direct us, we pray, that Lord, you might help us to continue to worship you now by uh, listening for your voice. And Lord, give us ears to hear, we pray, and, and hearts soft to respond to your grace this morning. Amen. In the uh, classic Steven Spielberg movie, E.T., what was it that the alien E.T. wanted to do? Well, the line and the movie as a whole is so deeply ingrained in pop culture, I suspect I don't need to tell you what he wanted to do, do I? He wanted to phone home. He's homesick and he wants to get back home. And his way to do it is to make contact with home. Well, this psalm, the last one in our summer series through the psalms, is all about being homesick and wanting to be back home. In fact, this psalm is part of a collection of psalms that do a very similar thing. You can look at Psalm 46, 48, 76, 87, and 122, which will do much the same sort of thing. They're part of a collection together called the Zion Songs. And they all celebrate God's presence in Jerusalem. So this song, this psalm, is a pilgrim's song. It, it pictures the moment of arriving back in Jerusalem to God's house, to his presence, whilst they're on the way from somewhere else. And that idea of pilgrimage is a good one for the Christian life. This idea of being on this journey from exile back into our father's house and to his presence so that's what we'll think about this morning. Look with me there to the first four verses. The first thing we see here is the longing. And we said it already that he's homesick. And the thing that we're going to find here is that you have a home in God. I wonder if you know that feeling of homesickness. I've learned that it's something that, uh, especially for Welsh people, they feel. Uh, it's why many Welsh people will never consider leaving Wales, or even when they do, they seem to spend a lot of their time longing to be back home and one day at one time or other find themselves finding their way back home. Uh, in pop culture, we see this. You, you see that in the series Gavin and Stacey. She can't bear to be away from Barry Island and can't wait to be back there. And it's pretty true to life. We used to live not too far away. But you can also hear it in the voice of their favourite son, Tom Jones, who longs for the green, green grass of home. The psalmist here is homesick, and he wants to be back home in God's presence. He says to us here, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. How lovely, how beloved 
The point is that it's not just a lovely dwelling place. It's not just, uh, you know, a house that would be nice to see on cribs or through the keyhole, depending on what sort of generation you're from. It's not about really what the house looks like. It's the fact of how people feel towards the house. That's the point of the Hebrew word. They're beloved. It's a house that is loved. How beloved is your dwelling place? And of course, it's lost in the English again, but in the Hebrew there, it is tabernacle. How lovely, how beloved is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. This is a specific house. The house in which God has said above all else and all other places in the world that he dwells. God's dwelling place is loved, but it's not so much about the furniture or the decor or the appointments, but the host. My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord, we're told. He desires God's courts. And it, this, this desire to be back home, to be in the presence of God, overwhelms him. That's what the psalmist feels when he thinks of being in God's house and presence. It's much like we know this in a sense of being sort of lovesick, don't we? Some of you will know that feeling. Some of you are finding that out. Some of you maybe will one day find that out, that love does strange stuff to you. When you meet someone that actually have that desire to be with them. Sometimes those feelings can be so intense, it's a little overwhelming and almost all-consuming. It's why you can spend a lot of time feeling sick, losing appetite, losing your focus, tripping over your words. The psalmist's love for God is actually affecting him in ways in which we know all too well in our own lives. The psalmist longs to be there because he longs to be with God. That's the point. That's the point here. And, and this is where the emphasis makes all the difference. He longs to be in this house because of the owner of the house. Your emphasis makes all the difference. Almost anything can actually be turned into an insult with the wrong or maybe the right, I suppose, emphasis, can't it? You could say, that tasted better than it looked. And the emphasis that you put on that is quite important, isn't it? You could turn it from actually being a compliment to actually being a bit of an insult, can't it? Or you're looking great for your age. Or you've actually looked really nice today. Or congratulations on graduating. I never thought you'd make it. Emphasis makes a difference. And here the emphasis is so important. It's not about how great is your court, oh Lord. It is how great is your court, oh Lord. The focus is on the God of the court, not the court. My, my heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God, we're told here. It causes this physical sensation of this uh, love sickness, this home sickness. It's a physical experience of peace and joy. We often, I think, experience actually the reverse, don't we? That, that we experience not the physical effects of joy and of peace, but I think we're more familiar with the feeling of the physical experience of stress, anxiety on our body, the way in which it, it makes us physically tense up, that it puts us literally on edge, that it raises our blood pressure and you feel it within you. We know all too well those feelings. And yet here is the glorious reverse. The physical experience of contentment, peace, joy, love. How many of you are looking for that feeling? 
Well, then here it is. Even the sparrows find a home and the swallow a nest for herself uh, where she may lay her young at your altars. This place that God's presence is a place of safe haven and it's a harbour from the tempest. It's a place that's safe for these birds to make their nests. Even though he's Lord of hosts, my king and my God, he's a king and a God, a Lord of hosts, Lord of armies who on the other hand is nurturing and caring and concerning for the weak and the vulnerable. And then look at what we receive here, lastly, in this first section here. Look at verse four there. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. And then look at the response that comes from it, so that we're ever singing your praise, we're told. You know, actually, we find ourselves so often in life wandering as exiles, looking for a home, looking for ways to try to fill that sort of sense of lostness and there's many different ways in which people try to find that and trying to fill that try to do it with work imagine that if we can just get that job if we can just have that level of respect that will come from it if I could just have that salary perhaps and that lifestyle from it I'll feel like I matter I feel like I'm somebody we do it with things and we think that if I can just get that product, if, or if I can just get to that place, if I can just have that experience, then I will feel good. Then I'll feel alive. We do it with people. We think that if I can only have that person in my life, or I can't possibly lose that person, or if, if I can just have their approval, I, I must have them approve me and think well of me. My longing will be over. I'll feel complete. We're all wandering exiles, looking for a home. And here's our home. Secondly, we see the pilgrim, the one who's on the journey towards the home. And what do we see about them? Well, we see that they're blessed. Sort of how it's ended in verse four there, hasn't it? And the point here in verses five to seven is that you find your strength in God. This next section picks up. Uh, where we've become familiar with before, with this idea of blessed is. And then it finishes the sentence for us, doesn't it? We've had a couple of examples already just in the Psalms that we've looked at. In Psalm 1, we were told, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Or in Psalm 40, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. And here is another one, verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Happy are those who place their strength in God. Now, this is very countercultural because take a step back from the psalm here, from the song, and what does the world tell us? Well, the world tells us, doesn't it, that you should find strength within you. That's where you'll find it. And it's all about being most true to yourself. And if you can do that, then you'll be a strong person. You'll find that strength welling up from within you. And yet, we don't see many strong people around us, do we, for all that talk? In fact, actually, what we find all too often is the opposite. In fact, we, we find people who seem to be almost uh, as if they're sort of living their life as if they're driving on the red light. I don't know how you feel. I always get incredibly anxious whenever the fuel light comes on. Uh, for me, that's incredibly stressful. And I feel as though that the whole time I'm just constantly sort of holding out and thinking, where's the nearest garage? How quickly can I get there? Will I have enough fuel to get there? Am I, uh, am I just about driving on fumes? Is there going to be traffic? Because that's going to delay me and I may not get there in time. 
And it feels as though actually so many people's lives are lived in just the same way. That I'm just running on fumes and I'm moments away from just breaking down completely. For all this talk of finding strength within you, I don't think we find too many strong people. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion, we're told. And have you ever known that? That sort of route that you know, perhaps it's back to home or to, to your parents or grandparents, where you know the route so well, you can almost drive it sort of automatically, where you can picture the journey, you can picture the streets, the corners, the turnings, the crossings. Blessed are those in whose heart are the highways to Zion. These are people who, who know the path, know the route, know the way, to God's house. This psalmist knows and loves the place so much, he knows the way home, and he can retrace it in his heart as he longs to be there. As they go through the valley of Baca, verse 6, we're told they make it a place of springs. The only rain, early rain also comes, uh, covers it with pools, we're told. This is a strange sort of sentence here isn't it we're given this place the valley of Baca, a place that we don't know where it is in fact we never hear of it any other time it seems to be something that the songwriter is using for a piece of imagery the original uh, word there for Baca means weeping so perhaps he's doing something similar to what he does in psalm 23 where he talks about the valley of the shadow of death again not a real valley just an idea, a concept for a song, for a piece of art, for you to think and reflect and imagine in your own heart. But the point of it seems to be that they weep along the way to the place of strength. Hopefully you'll see that that's a very different idea of strength, isn't it? That the route towards it actually would be filled with a lot of pain and a lot of weeping. I tend to think of weeping as being a character of strength, and yet here, Actually, it's necessary. And yet, what do we find? Verse 7 here, they go from strength to strength. Here's a neat summary of what it looks like for the, the life of the one who trusts in the Lord, that they go from strength to strength. Why, or, or, or maybe how, does this happen? Well, verse 7, each one appears before God in Zion, the source of their strength, and it comes back to how he's begun this section. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Well, the one who goes from strength to strength here in verse 7 is the one who appears before God in Zion, the one who finds their strength, their peace in God. We see the longing. The psalmist is homesick. We see the results here for the pilgrim, that they're blessed. And thirdly, we see this plea now from the psalmist to be noticed we see here in verses eight to nine is that you find a father in God who sees and who hears you. This plea comes in a strange place, doesn't it? Sort of buried sort of partway through. Sometimes, you know, you, you expect the plea at the beginning, right, right off from the bat. Okay, this is what this is going to be about. Or perhaps, you know, like those kind of emails that you get that beg for money, you know, you get all the sort of preamble and the real headline at the bottom that you've got all the other bit that's kind of trying to convince you why you should give the money. But here, the plea is in a funny place. It's almost just sort of tucked away. And it's a strange kind of a plea. Listen to it here, verse eight. Oh, Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. It's a strange kind of plea because he's not asking really for anything other than to be heard. God, would you please hear me? He's not asking for a thing. And what he asks to be heard for isn't 
and ask. He's not asking, please, would you hear me as I ask you for this, which would be an understandable thing. Actually, he asks that he be heard in giving his praise. That raises a question for us, doesn't it? Of how much of my prayer is praise? And how much of it is, is me coming with my shopping list of requests? Our Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. And he asked that God would look to him. He's asked that he be heard. Now he's asking that he be looked to. It's a plea that's not a plea, really. It's a plea that's not needed. He doesn't actually have to ask God that he would listen to him, that he would see him. He does. And he does. You don't need to ask God, a good father, to listen to you or to look to you. He loves to. You see that longing of that homesickness? You see the fate for the pilgrim that they're blessed by being in God's presence? We see this plea to be noticed. Then lastly, we see this perspective of eternity. And the point here in verses 10 to 12 is that you find happiness in God. What the psalmist does for us here is somewhat strange. In, in movies, we're more familiar with it, with uh, these moments in which they break the fourth wall. In art, what this means is, you know, you imagine that there's four walls around you and there's this wall here that separates you as performers from the audience so that the performance that's going on basically carries on as if it's not expecting there to be an audience. You're, you're a fly on the wall witnessing what's happening, but you're never really acknowledged. It's just a performance that's put on that you are spectating at. But every now and again, a movie will break that idea to do something a bit different creatively. And this is what the psalmist does here, because now he gives us the perspective that has informed and driven everything else that he said. This homesickness, this longing that he has to be back home, here's the perspective that's driving that he breaks the fourth wall down for us we see this in movies where they'll use this to share with us a secret you know that the rest of the cast of characters don't really know yet so Ferris Bueller's Day Off Pete was mentioning it the other week one of the things you do after the big sort of performance for his parents to convince them that he's sick and he needs to have the day off he'll then turn to the camera and go they bought it and will tell us that he's not really sick at all. He's just wanting to have a fun day. Or perhaps in House of Cards, where Francis Underwood will talk to you as the audience and give you the inside track on different people. Or perhaps in a more comedic way in Wayne's World, they'll speak to the camera and say, it's just so sad that nowadays people will only do things to get paid before they then shamelessly and not very subtly plug Pepsi, Pizza Hut, aspirin, uh, and all sorts of tracksuits. Here, the psalmist breaks the fourth wall to tell us the perspective that has shaped his homesickness. Why is it that he feels this way? Why is it that his ask is that he be heard by God? Not all the host of other things that presumably he could have asked for. This is why he wants to be there so bad now. And he puts it in two different and connected ways for us. Look at verse 10 there. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And here's the first of those two reasons that he wants to be there in God's presence so badly. Number one is about quality. And the point that he's making, quite simply, is just that it is so much better to be there. That he would trade a volume of days in an inferior place for a 
shorter amount of time in a far superior place. We have that same idea throughout scripture. Jesus puts it in his parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value in Matthew 13. That this is that treasure, this pearl that you find and you decide and you resolve at the end of it and you act on it, that you sell all you have to go and get it. That you would be willing to give up everything that you have to get the thing that's more valuable than everything you already have. And Jesus says that's how the kingdom of God is. Paul puts it uh, in Philippians 3 that uh, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That he would rather lose everything to gain Christ. It's simple economics for Paul here, that I take the loss of all things for the profit of knowing Christ because he's more valuable. It's the same point as the psalmist. It's the same point as Jesus. Or lastly, you could turn to Hebrews, where he would speak of character after character throughout the Old Testament doing this. And talking about Moses in Hebrews 11, he says, By faith, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And do you see what he's saying? That on the one hand, you know, Moses has this conflict because he could, although the rest of his uh, clan could not, he could claim to have all the benefits and all the comforts of living as an Egyptian because he had been adopted into this family. And he could, if he had wanted to, prioritize his comfort and actually had a really easy, good life. Yet he chooses instead to be mistreated with the people of God, to reject that title of being Egyptian, because he considers the reproach of Christ to be better wealth than the wealth of Egypt. What does that say? That sounds confusing because reproach is a bad word. What he's looking to is the judgment, the reproach of Christ coming against the Egyptians as better wealth than the wealth he could have had staying in Pharaoh's family. He may end up with actually nothing else other than being vindicated because he's part of the people of God. But he considers that as greater wealth than all the wealth of the world. It's telling you the same thing in different images. But that for the sake of quality, you'd rather have a day in the courts of God than a thousand elsewhere. That's the first, but now there's another two. Look at verse 10 there still with me. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And this is about proximity. Firstly, it was about quality. The quality of God's presence in his place is better than anything else the world offers. Next, it's about proximity. I would rather be on the fringes of God's house. I'd rather be playing bouncer on the front door of God's house, but not even quite getting in, than being right in the inner circle of everything else going on in the world. It's better for me to be just on the fringes of what God's doing than to be right on the inner circle, accepted in the world. I would rather have my proximity to him than to the world. And this again comes down to value. John puts it in 1 John chapter 2, that whoever loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You don't get it. You don't get it. If that's in any way a conflict and feels like a difficult thing, then you're not getting how good he is. 
You're still imagining that something created could even barely measure up to the creator. You've not got it at all. Unless you reach this place of actually this love that actually has physical effects on you, that you go and you want to sell everything you have in order to get him, if that's what it takes, then you've not understood him yet. He's not some concept to agree with. He's a treasure to be loved. So we're given those two reasons as, as to why the psalmist wants to be there. And then lastly, we'll end with this, we're given these four further incentives to want to be in God's presence. What are the benefits? Well, he gives us four here in verse 11. Firstly, the Lord God is a sun. He is a light. He is a light of lights. He directs our steps and without him, nothing could be. Secondly, he's a shield. He's a defender. He defends you. He protects you from things bigger than you, from things beyond you. Third, he bestows favor and honor. He's a giver. He's generous. He's gracious. He cares for his children. He's like the grandmother who spends the whole time sort of supplying those children with sweets uh, and anything they want. And as you come to go is slipping money into your hand as if it's a drug deal where no one else will see. You know, it's that love that can barely sort of contain and control itself. He gives, he bestows favor and honor. And then fourthly here, no good thing does he withhold. He's good. He's never going to withhold anything good from you. Yeah, actually, I think this could be translated a little better into the English. Again, the problems of translating between languages, you don't always uh, get all the emphasis and nuances. You could translate it actually here, not just no good thing does he withhold, but actually no better thing does he withhold. And there's something about that that might be more helpful for us in remembering that actually everything that God gives to us is the best. And yet, that's hard to feel sometimes, isn't it? That what God may have been pleased to have given us, what God may have been pleased to not give us, is the best. That comes with challenges, doesn't it? What about those things that you've really longed for and he's not given? That's hard. It's not easy, is it? And yet it's no less true. No better thing does he withhold. And yet, so much of our fear, our doubts, of our wandering comes from thinking, comes from imagining that he does withhold from us, that he does hold out on us, that I do need to go and to get something for myself, that I need to go and make something happen because he's not going to do it for me. We imagine that somehow this good father is holding something back better for me. We imagine like the younger brother, that the father actually really hasn't treated me so well at all. I need to cash in my inheritance now and go and find my life elsewhere. No better thing does he withhold. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. And fitting for us to end with that repeat of the song's theme, that blessed is the one who trusts in you. We live in a world in which many people feel lost, feel as if they don't really have a true home, feel as though maybe there's nowhere that they truly fit in or belong. And so people look this way and that to fill that sort of emptiness in work, in money, in relationships, in approval, 
in things, in drugs, in sex. Trying to fill that sort of sense of homesickness and lostness. St. Augustine, church father, puts it like this. To praise you is the desire of man, a little piece of your creation. You stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you've made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. And what we find is, because of course the world is filled with many, many millions of people who are not praising God, of course. But what we find is that actually even for those people, until we find pleasure and joy in God, what we try to do is to find it in other places and find ourselves praising false gods that don't deliver. We find ourselves restless, a long way from home and looking to get back, but not knowing the way. Don't you know, like me, that so often the things you have pinned so much hope on never really delivered at all? The psalmist, knowing those feelings, points us to find our hope in finding our way home to God's presence. So that the arc of the story of God could end by saying, as we began by reading this morning, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They'll be his people and he'll be their God. He comes saying, behold, I make all things new. He comes bringing a city down, not calling us to climb some ladder up to him. He comes bringing the city down, being the one who will live with us, who will put an end to our homesickness, who put an end to our lostness, put an end to our restlessness by being with us. And I pray for us. Father God, we have uh, many times in our life found ourselves lost, found ourselves having taken wrong turns, having taken poor directions, having thought that we would know a better way and it didn't work out so well, having tried to take shortcuts and finding ourselves lost, longing for home, maybe looking in the wrong places. And for some of us, maybe even that's our place this morning. Maybe we're even sat in that right now and wondering how on earth will I get to a place of feeling home, of feeling found not lost a feeling at rest or restless father i thank you that you don't leave us abandoned but lord you have come to find us you come to rescue us and through your son jesus christ you have come to make us new to forgive us of all sin to cleanse us that we might be able to return home we thank you that you come down to find us. And Lord, I pray this morning for those of us who in different ways and for different reasons might be feeling lost, might be feeling away from home, might be not feeling close to your presence. And Lord, you will draw us in again. Lord, for those of us who've wandered off for the umpteenth time, that you will bring us back. And Lord, for those who may not have found you yet, that this might be the moment in which they know your embrace, meeting us halfway down the road coming out to find us, putting on the robe, giving us the ring, putting on the party. Lord, you love us. You do indeed hear us. You do see us. You do make a way that we can 
find our home with you. Lord, we thank you that and believe and pray that you would help us to trust and to live out the Lord blessed is the one who finds their strength in you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you might minister to us this morning in those places that I, with my words, can't reach. But Lord, you, with your power and your grace, can. I pray that you might minister to each one this morning, that we might know that this is true, not just generally, not just theoretically, but for us personally this morning. Amen. We are going to uh, hopefully sing um, a closing song, Boldly I Approach.